Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one-hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of misfits transformed by God's grace. Tonight's going to be a little bit of a different uh, type of episode. Uh, we actually are going to have an interview, We've got a special guest in the studio. I'll get to that in just a moment. In case you don't know, my name is Zach Adams, I'm a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, who's been incredibly blessed to pastor, I think, the greatest church around, Calvary 316, which is located just outside of Athens, Georgia. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the church, if you're uh, local to the area, just check out calvary316.com. If maybe you're not local to the area, but you want to see what we're doing, uh, we live stream our service 1030 Sunday morning at calvary316.live. Uh, again, you can learn more about the church, calvary316.com. Tonight, I'm joined in the studio, and we're going to actually reverse the order of things here a little bit, Creighton. I'm joined in the studio by the man that needs no introduction, the maestro of this dysfunction. Thank you for telegraphing that doing such a good job. I was, job, and no, then I was just, good, and then I just, yeah, I switched it all up in my landing, brain. Man. Creighton, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. <laughs> Thanks for having yeah, me, man. You are, you, you are the producer of this dysfunction. That was the line I was going for. Man. I know, and it's right in front of me. All I have to do is read it, but I didn't. I just I just totally... You did You did a really good job telegraphing what we were going to do. I was on I board. Know. Everyone in the room I was on board. I did an onside but, kick, and I stumbled over like five yards in. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was terrible. Anyway, so Creighton, is, as always, is the producer. Creighton, with the live stream... Uh, you monitor the comment section, so part of the show is kind of its interactive quality. Um, it kind of explain to the audience, if they do want to interact, how they can do that very quickly. Uh, basically, on the right side of your screens, or on the bottom if you're on a mobile, there will be a comment section, whether on YouTube or Facebook. Type in a comment on that comment section. I just realized my camera's not there. It's there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know we've, we've changed quite a few things. Yes. Just looking so, up. So um, if you uh, want to post a comment, you know, questions, <laughs> comments, concern, um, any Here, kind go of to, Go to me real quick. Thing. This All is right. Creighton. So <laughs> well, uh, we have... <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 no. That was very well done. You switched things up. We on did. Me, we had to switch some cameras around and add some audio. Again, it's for tonight, kind of the special episode, which has thrown us all totally out of whack. Yes. Um, so anyway, uh, a, an unscripted show. Very uh, much so Interactive. Unscripted. So if you're watching, again, if you're listening on the podcast, check us out. Check out the live stream. Normally Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, but again, tonight is one of those unique episodes where it's a seven o'clock start time because the Braves are in the World Series, uh, which is wonderful, and they play at eight. So again, if the Braves get to a game seven, next Wednesday will be a seven o'clock right. uh, episode as well, and then we'll get back to the normal eight o'clock run. So if you're listening on the podcast, check out the live stream. Our YouTube channel is outlawradio.live. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Uh, let me get to uh, the other chaps that are in the studio, and I'm going to kind of work uh, really kind of from the from my left to the right here. So as always, we've got Nicholas Monty and Deal Daddy Derek so, in studio. Oh. How are you guys doing? Good good, good week. Doing yeah. good. Yep. Hey, Braves won game one. Good thing. Yeah. Right? Excited for game exciting. two. I like that you're you're rocking your Calvary three sixteen hoodies. It's that time of year yes, here in is. Georgia. I'm just glad it's cold now. Yeah, I'm it is glad cold. we're able to pull them out. Yeah, absolutely. And we're joining this is kind of the the crescendo, what we've been building towards, Mr. 
Kenneth Snipes, also a.k.a. Kenny. He's not really sure what he's called. Kenny, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. How's it going? I love the fact that you're rocking Braves gear. Absolutely, man. So how long have you been back in town? Uh, a week today. A week today. Yeah. How long will you be in town for? Until Thanksgiving. Until Thanksgiving. Yeah. So you guys are, are, are having quite a nice little vacation, kind of a, a, a reprieve. Absolutely. Um, so you are a missionary. Yeah, that's what they call me. You are a missionary. <laughs> so what I want to do here is I want to start uh, by what it is uh, you guys are doing right now. And then we're going to rewind the clock all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to kind of go through a story of how you got to to right now. So you are you are married to, uh, you outpunted your coverage. And you have some beautiful kids. Uh, introduce them. Tell us who they are. All right. So uh, my wife... Uh, is Nikki, Nikki Snipes used to be Nikki Nikino. She had a much cooler name back then. Used to be Nikki Nikino. <laughs> yep. I was her youth pastor, yep. by the way. Yes. So, um, and then we got two uh, two kids. Jack is five, and Mary is three. Five and three. Yep. Now, where where do you live? So we currently live in Siguatepeque, Honduras. Say that again. Sigua. Sigua. Sigua for short. Siguatepeque. And so why are you living there? So we felt like that uh, the best, that God's best place for us, the, the, what he had, I don't think God's will is this like mystical thing. I think as long as we're following him, we're pretty well in God's will. But uh, I think he does Amen have, that. there are certain places that, that are better for us to be. And um, a few years back, Nikki and I made the decision that we felt like that uh, Honduras was where God wanted us to be. And so that's where we're at. So you're, you're living in Honduras uh, with two little kids, um, when did you move to Honduras? So we moved, uh, we moved to Honduras. I think the date was February sixth of twenty twenty. Mm. So February sixth of twenty twenty, you decide to leave America and move to Honduras. Now, now, where is uh, where is this town that, that you're located? Dead center of Honduras. It is actually the geographical center of the Americas. Hmm. Of the Americas, yeah. There's that much above it. As below it? Yep. That's pretty crazy. I would never have thought that. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you relocate your family a month before the world shuts down into this global pandemic. Why did you move your family to Honduras? Well. Other than the fact that the Lord led you to, yeah. like, what was, what was the purpose? What was the goal? Why was the Lord leading you? Well, to we, the middle uh, of Honduras. do we want to do the rewind now? Do we want to do that Well, now? we'll get to that. Okay. I, I want to get to specifically what you guys are doing, and I'm, I'm moving you that direction, and then we can reverse it. I gotcha. So, uh, I mean, the Bible says, the, Jesus' famous last words were to go make disciples. Uh, so, you know, that's what he said. Amen. And um, we, we, we lived in Honduras in the past, and we'll get to that. But one of the things we saw was that there's a lot of people that are doing great things, but it's not making disciples. Um, there's a lot of people that want to get people to get saved and meet Jesus, but they then beyond that, they're not training people to get to know him better or to build that relationship. And so one of our, the primary reasons we wanted to go to Honduras was to, to help contribute to that and, uh, and do what Jesus said, make disciples. So you, your wife, your kids, you, you leave Atlanta, Georgia, you move to Honduras uh, early February of 2020. And, and, you, and you go to work. Um, you have an organization first that, that you guys have started. It's called um, The Bridge, right? Bridges Across the Mission Field. Bridges Across the Mission yeah. Field. And, you're, and your goal, um, kind of the, the vision that you had, uh, aside from just like the, the general 
go into the world and make disciples, which yeah. is, again, what Jesus did, so it's not a generality we should avoid. Uh, right. But you went with the specific intention of trying to network Absolutely. Among missionaries. Yeah. So another one of the things we saw was there's a, a almost a sense of competition among missionaries, which isn't really kingdom oriented. Uh, they, you know, compete. It's like the first Baptist church and the second Baptist church, you know. Oh, no. In America, all the churches work together. Yeah. There's yeah. none of that <laughs> in America. So, We're all one team. <laughs> so we saw, you know, in the missionary field, I mean, first of all, Americans tend to stick out in a place like Honduras. Um, typically even the missionaries are going to drive nicer cars. They're going to live in nicer houses. Uh, I mean, my kids are like pasty white, blonde haired, blue eyed kids. <laughs> they, they just stick out down there. And when you stick out, you know, and, and people notice you, it, it kind of, I, I feel like it's kind of a given that you need to, you know, it needs to be more evident that you're a Christ follower. Um, because it's, we're walking down the street there. I mean, we, when, when I do something that may be common, you know, uh, say something rude or whatever. It's, it means a lot more. It carries more weight because it's like kind of where you're at. If someone sees you guys, you stick out so, so starkly that it's like the only reason these people are here yeah. is because of Jesus. Like there's no other explanation yeah. and for why these pasty white people yeah. are in our town. Central Honduras is not a destination. It's not a vacation. Destination. It's not a, there's not a beach in the middle of no. Honduras. No, this is not, this is not the cruise, you know, where the cruise ship stock, you know, it's, it's not like that. And so one of the things we've, we've, we realized was that a lot of missionaries, they saw each other as competition. They didn't really do a lot of work together. And, uh, and even, you know, sometimes if one missionary is drilling wells and he's working with a certain village and somebody else is doing some sort of, you know, sustenance farming or there, you know, something to, to reach the people and, and you step foot in the guy's area where he's working, that's drilling wells, he gets offended, even though you're doing completely different kinds of work, or he takes it as an offense that you're trying to like take his people. These are my and, treasures in heaven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leave me alone. Exactly, exactly. And so one of the things that we wanted to do was uh, was go down and, and um, Build try to uphold a, try yeah. to uphold you know relationships and and show and show other missionaries and other ministries, uh, you know Honduran ministries and run ministries as well that they can you know you can work together. This is kingdom oriented stuff. You don't have to be the same denomination. You don't you know you don't necessarily as long as we have the same core beliefs, which is Jesus. That um that you know that he came and died for us that he's you know that he has enough grace to cover us, um you know that he rose from the dead, you know we, we can work together to help people, right. uh, not only to to uh, you know to do humanitarian things like feedings and and giving out clothes and teaching people how to you know improve their life, but to make disciples. Um, I, I will say, and again, we're going to rewind the clock for a moment, but I I, I do want to unpack an idea that you introduced. Um, <clears throat> obviously, from a very practical standpoint when missionaries in a foreign place work together, um, it enhances, uh, the witness, you know, Hey, we're getting like, like we're, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're all in this together. We've all made similar sacrifices to do this, to minister to, to this community and these people. Uh, so that's a very practical thing of just the way that the world, you know, perceives missionaries. What a poor witness for missionaries to be backbiting, to be gossiping, to be slandering, um, to be fighting one another, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that's, that's not kingdom-minded at all. That's, that's division, and the Bible speaks a lot about the importance of unity from just the way that the world views us, uh, to the point that Jesus even exhorts us, and Paul adds to this, is that like, hey, if you have to just be the offended, 
and eat yeah. that. If it's for the benefit of unity, do it because the world is watching. You, you know? got to drop your pride to do that, though. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about Christianity that necessitates the dropping of pride. Yeah. Um, to have any, any, any core purpose behind it. However, I do want you to unpack, though, a little bit about the practical benefits um, for missionaries themselves, not necessarily just the way that the world views missionaries, but like you, you kind of mentioned, you know, you have one guy that might be drink, you know, drilling wells, and that's his ministry, and you've got another guy, you know, that's that's doing some practical training on farming and basic necessities. Like you would think, hey, water and farming, uh, totally different, but man, they could kind of package together pretty well. Absolutely. Um, and so, kind of you guys being down there, you're seeking to be that bridge of like, hey, there's a benefit in us working together for what we're individually called to do. Would you yeah. say that that's kind of part of, of what your, your mission is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we, I remember when we lived there before, we uh, were walking through the grocery store, and I was desperate to speak English with somebody. I was very, we were very young missionaries, very young. I mean, we were kids when we moved down there. And I, uh, I saw this guy. I knew he was a missionary. Went to go talk to him. And uh, he, like, darted down the other aisle, this little grocery store we were in, and just completely, you know, ignored me. And that right there, I mean, just that, that one action made a big impact on me. Um, it's like, and, I need to speak English with yeah, someone. Please. Yeah. And, and I just, and my naive mind, I just thought that's what missionaries did. I thought, the mission, I thought there was a missionary community. And, um, right. okay. you know, there are, there was, but it mostly consisted of people that had been there for 25 or 30 years and anybody that had been there for less than that, they hadn't like joined the club yet. So because, it wasn't, it was a missionary click, not yeah. a, a true and, missionary community. And, and there, you know, the reason that the click existed is because so many people go on the mission field and they're there for six months and then they leave. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to, you naturally don't want to build trust with people who are not going to, you know, be, you know, they're not going to stick around. So, and that makes sense. I mean, it's hard to knock. Yeah. So, and after after dealing with 25 years of people coming for six or nine months and then leaving, I, I guess I can get that. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, part of part of your, your mission, and I know that, like, for example, um, in a practical sense, like, uh, your wife um, is leading a Bible study for... She's leading three Bible studies right but, now. But yeah. she's like, your focus is ministering yeah. to missionaries yeah, as well is, as absolutely. to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, a, I think it's a very unique, um, missions perspective, you know, so often, you know, missionaries are, are very, are very tunneled. Um, and you know, God gives them a very clear calling, a mission with this is what I'm doing. Um, you guys have a, a bit more of a broad and I would say, um, palatable, moldable, um, you get on the ground and you're ebbing and you're flowing yeah. um, to, to whatever the needs happen to be. And again, you went down there in February and we'll get to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thinking it would be one need and then very quickly, like the world changed and Honduras changed. And, Drastically. And so you couldn't be rigid. You had to be flexible and you had to kind of go with the flow. So Absolutely. Knowing what you do now, and I, you know, maybe before, before we backtrack, Creighton, you... Derek, Nick, y'all have any questions about, about what they're doing from a very practical standpoint? Anything? You guys are here. You're listening. You're absorbing. Before we get all the way back to the beginning, you because know, for me, the obvious question is like, you know, how in the world, you know, do you, do, you, do you grow up in the same place I did and end up in Honduras, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, my question would be, how do you raise two children in another world, basically? Because your kids are young, right? Yeah, yeah, five and three. Five and three. So, man, um, it's a good question. That's a, yeah, that's a good question. It's a loaded question. 
we were, I'll say this, we were um, 100% going to have our kids in a school. We hadn't decided if they was gonna, we were going to put them in private school or, um, or a public school, but we were not going to homeschool our kids. One, that was one thing that me and Nikki said before we got married, before we got engaged, we just said we didn't want to homeschool our kids, that we wanted our kids to be in school. And um, then we moved to Honduras, six, you know, six weeks before, uh, before the pandemic hits. And, you know, everything shut down. And in fact, Honduran public schools are still closed. Hmm, Honduran really? private wow. schools are still closed as long, if they haven't found a loophole yet, uh, which some of them are trying to find loopholes because... People got to enough's enough. Like, people got to go to school. People right. got to and 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 the people that work at the schools got to make money. They got to make a living. Um, so it was tough when we moved down there. The kids were really sad to be leaving their grandparents. Um, sad to leave their church. Uh, we were a hundred percent going to get you know plugged in in the community. We didn't want to separate ourselves from um, from the community. We wanted to you know we wanted to integrate as much as we could. Uh, into our neighborhood and hanging out with people. And so the Hudson Taylor model for all points and purposes. Yeah. 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 So uh, we did, you know, we wanted to be separated spiritually, obviously, but not, mm -hmm. but, but we wanted to be plugged in. And so that was really difficult because six weeks after we got there, we were stuck behind a 10 foot concrete <laughs> wall for all intents and purposes. I, uh, so we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to, that. to that. But once everything opened back up, you know, we had our kids in Spanish classes. Uh, and they probably already know Spanish. They were taking Spanish classes. Our Spanish teacher quit coming because of the pandemic. Um, and then it was really just Nikki and the kids in our house. We have a, we had a 10 foot, uh, you know, concrete wall around us. We had, um, electric fence on top of that and then razor wire on top of that. Oh and my so, gosh. You know, there was, that's just, that's just the way it is. A, you know, big metal, solid metal door that leads out to the street. And we have to do that in the Providence Club, too. So yeah. I, oh, exactly. <laughs> I totally understand. But, but my kids didn't see outside that road, except for occasionally, like, I'd get tired of being behind there. So I'd walk out the door. And literally, you're not allowed to be on the street. Wow. Um, you're really, it's, I, I won't get into all that. But, uh, <laughs> but like, I would bring Jack outside and he'd, we'd pace in front of the house on the dirt road uh, occasionally. But that's all they saw for months was that. It, what are you practically, like practically, what are you guys so, doing right now? So now that everything's kind of, well, not everything, but a lot of things have kind of calmed down. Uh, we've joined a church. Our, uh, it's a Spanish speaking church. Our kids are in children's church. And uh, there is one teacher in there that kind of cheats and te you know says some stuff in English, but they're, they're learning great Spanish. Um, three days a week, they're in a, uh, it's technically, if the Honduran government is listening, it's a daycare, but it's a private school that uh, it's a Spanish speaking private school. It's a wonderful daycare. To. It's a wonderful mm -hmm. daycare. Um, Nikki actually helped them launch the school this year and, uh, and was the initial uh, English teacher until they were able to bring somebody on that was, that wanted to do that. That new English. That new English. Yes. It was, <laughs> that was the prerequisite for the job was yeah. speaking English, English, English teacher. So, uh, but the kids are in the school. They love it. They, they have tons of friends. Their Spanish ability is quickly going to surpass mine and my wife's. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, they've done well. I mean, uh, it's weird. I take Jack to the grocery store and he gets like people pet him. <laughs> <laughs> Little because, white kid. Yeah. They, everybody's got to like run their hands through his hair and stuff. And I, he hates that. He's not a ghost. Yeah. There's substance. <laughs> yeah, to him. there is. But, but it, you know, that's one of the weird things, but he's, uh, he's playing soccer. Uh, the kids go, they got, they got karate class that we take them to. Um, and they're, they're loving life. They really enjoy it. Uh, we've, you know, we've got a huge yard that they can play in. Um, they've really started to get to know a lot of the missionary kids. 
one family that we're pretty close to has uh, two kids the same age as, uh, as Jack and Mary. And actually their, their uh, foster daughter actually stayed with us um, for about three months. Okay. And so that was, you know, the kids are, the kids are getting integrated. I mean, they have, they have more friends now than they did when we left the States. That's awesome. Mm, wow. Yeah. So. Cool. What, wh- from a ministry standpoint, what are you guys currently doing? Like, so, uh, from a ministry standpoint, we've partnered, and well, I'll start with Nikki because uh, it's easy to talk about the stuff I do. But Nikki, start is, with Nikki. Nikki's leading three Bible studies. Uh, she's leading a, a a missionary wives Bible study specifically. She's leading a a moms group that's open, and both of these are open to locals and uh, missionaries. Um, Very cool. But they're in English. Uh, they are they are English Bible studies, and, and then, Nikki's not fluent Spanish, but she's she can hold her own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Nikki's Nikki's Spanish is increasing much quicker than mine because all of my ministry partners are also uh, bilingual. <laughs> so it's a, well, Nikki's much smarter than you. She is. I won't argue with that. I won't argue with that. So, uh, but she's leading these Bible studies. Uh, she's helped uh, with uh, start with another missionary, a a moms group that a moms and littles groups that they meet. Uh, I think once a week. And they hang out at somebody's house. They have a little Bible study for the kids, some activities. That's great. Um, they're doing that. And these are, you know, that's a really cool thing for the kids. But it's also a big thing for the moms because there's different struggles in a country like Honduras. Uh, you know, there's things that, that moms deal with here that they all have in common. But then you go there and there's uh, there's things that that nobody here, you can't talk to anybody here about it. You can't call mom. Uh, you exactly. can't call mom at home and ask her about this because it doesn't, the problem doesn't exist here. So um, it's a really great opportunity for, for her to pour into those other moms and, and for them to pour into her as well. Um, building community. Building I mean, that's community. kind of the idea. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. And being inclusive with the Honduran, you know, the yes. local Hondurans around us too that, that want to be part of that community. Um, it's really cool. And then I'm actually, um, I've done a lot of stuff. Like, like Zach was saying, I, we've, I've had to be very flexible with ministry over the past year. But what we're currently working on, um, I've got a really good friend, Kike Vega, uh, born and raised in our town. Uh, he was actually supposed to be here in the States fundraising with me, but travel plans changed. So he and I have uh, been working together to launch a ministry called Ascenso, which is uh, the Ascent or Ascend, I think. Um, and it's basically an outdoor discipleship ministry for, uh, for you know, young people, for teenagers. Okay. And his passion has always been the outdoors, exploring Honduras. Um, that's it's kind of a weird thing. That's uh, not something that people do down there is just go hiking for fun because they have to hike to work every day. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. so there's, you know, he's, he's really gotten into the, he, for a few years he got into ecotourism and then the, the pandemic hit and there were no tourists. And so he uh, and I had been working together over the pandemic, doing some different projects. And he told me about what he had been doing and what his new vision was, which was to relaunch his Ascenso as a ministry. And so we've, uh, we just finished what we called a vacation Bible school for some kids in town. Uh, we had eight kids that signed up for the first program. We wanted to start small to see what was going on. Yeah. But uh, it was like a hybrid of like uh, Boy Scouts and youth group, huh. more or Sounds less. Sounds awesome. And uh, we yeah. took the kids, you know, right outside, right in their own backyard. There's these beautiful waterfalls and mountains to climb. And uh, we took them, we, we got them all hooked up with mountain bikes, took them on a mountain biking adventure. And... Um, and every, uh, this was twice a week that we were doing this. And every adventure that we went on, of course, had, had a, a Bible lesson, a Bible study, a Bible discussion to go with it. And um, just spent a lot of time getting to know these kids, paying attention to them. Is there, and, and we will, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I, there's a big topic I want to address. Yeah. 
that's relevant to America and some of the things that are going on here. Um, is there, do you, do you find that there is because of, of migration, um, that there's a lot of, um, fatherless homes that there, that there's a need for young, you know, Honduran teenagers to have mentors. Like, is there uncles specifically male leadership? Right. I mean, I mean, a lot of them have migrated North for work. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are, are repatriating paychecks, you know, back to Honduras from America. Um, so, I mean, th- that seems to me like that could be a, a pretty significant, significant need. But, you know, we have a big uh, fatherless crisis in American culture, specifically yeah. among African-American communities. Is the same thing. Explain that a little bit. So um, another one of the groups that we're working with is in a community called Via Alicia. And um, there's quite a few kids in that community that, that are fatherless. Um, and not necessarily because their dad left to come to the, you know, he left to come to the States. A lot of the kids don't even know who their dad is and uh, their mom doesn't either. Um, it's, it's a, it's a crisis there just like it is here. And one of the, one of our big focuses, especially with Kike that I'm working on is, is giving these kids that, that male leadership and teaching, not only teaching the, the young boys how to, what they need to, how they need to act and how they need to conduct themselves as they grow, but also teaching the young ladies that are around um, how, how a man should treat a woman. And how uh, how how it, how these young men should how they should be respected, and uh, so that's that's definitely an issue. There's a lot of I've, I I personally only know three people that have crossed the border. I mean, we've been working on Honduras for 13 years. I only, I only personally know of three people who have illegally come here to work and stayed. Um, fascinating. It is, it is fascinating actually. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll we will get, get to, to that. that. No, I but, I, um, I find that to be very interesting. Yeah. So. But there, but there is that that thing, and everybody you talk to these kids, especially in the poor villages, the further you get from our town and in, up into the mountains, you uh, you ask kids what they want to do, and they say they want to go to they want to travel through Mexico and go to the U.S. Like th- they don't want to be an astronaut or a police officer or uh, you know a news anchor or whatever. They don't want to be a, a football star. Their answer is, I want to go to the U.S. They don't say, I want to be a producer for Outlaw Radio like Creighton. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're not aspiring that high. No. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it is, it is really sad to, to have those conversations and deal with that. But, um, that's one of the things that Kika and I are, we, we feel like that's one of the, the burdens that we, you know, are going to carry. Well, let's get back to the beginning. So give a little bit of background, just kind of how you grew up, how your wife, Nikki grew up, how you guys met the origins of just missions, your yeah. first exposure to missions. I, I want, I want the audience to get a taste of like, like, how do you end up here? You know, yeah, it's like yeah, one thing absolutely. to meet a missionary, but it's like, how do you get to being a missionary? And then how do, how do you end up doing that like full time? And how do you, you know, because you're, you're supported. Do you have a work permit in Honduras? No. no. So, I mean, yeah. you're supported by, you had to raise support. People had to, yeah. to come behind you. And, and so kind of take us back to the beginning, walk us up through. Um, at least the pandemic, you know, yeah. traveling down there. Okay. Yeah. I'll try to do the short version. So, uh, so <laughs> we've got 30, well, we've got 28 minutes. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I was raised in church. So was Nikki, uh, for the most part. Um, and we were both here from, uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. I mean, that's, we both grew up very similarly. Uh, Nikki grew up in Calvary Chapel. I actually grew up in a Pentecostal church. Um, and, um, Moved around a lot. I went to like I think eleven different schools from kindergarten to twelfth grade. So, I, um, 
Nikki stayed in the same house basically her entire life. Do you encounter and a lot of Pentecostals in Honduras? Yeah, we do. That's a, a very, the charismatic movement is huge in Central America. Yeah, so when I, I, I've done missions in Cuba and like one of the main sanctioned denominations, the Methodist. But oh man, it's it's not what you think of Methodists. Like the it's, same thing with the Catholic churches, man. It's very charismatic. You you hear the Catholic churches from a couple blocks away, so it's interesting. That's okay. So it's the same. It's, yeah, it's more of a like a full Central America Caribbean. Yeah, absolutely. Probably so Latin you, America as a whole, really. So it kind of yeah. helps you. I mean, you you kind of came from a charismatic background, so yeah. you have some understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the, the theology that roots that, etc. So yeah. So back to um, your story. So yeah. So we were raised in church. Um, I, di- I don't guess I really took it all that seriously, but and you know throughout my life. But uh, when I got into high school, um, is when I came to know Jesus. And uh, Nikki's mom led every Bible study, was at every church function. I mean, and Nikki was right there on her you know coattail. Nikki told me that, um, and you can confirm this, but even the mission trips that the kids weren't supposed to go on, somehow Nikki always ended up on the trips because her mom was on them. <laughs> Uh, we did whatever we could to get Renee to go. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Nikki, you know, it, it was funny actually when we were you know going to leave this last time. Pastor Sandy actually said that um, I, I think Renee was you know she was obviously a little upset that we were planning to leave, and she, he looked at her and he said, "Renee, you know it's your fault, right?" <laughs> yeah, because I mean uh, that was something that that Re- David and Renee planted in Nikki's heart. A long, long, long time ago. So fast forward to high school. That's when I met Nikki. Uh, I was a senior. She was a junior. Um, the year before we met, my junior year, my parents put me in a new Christian school thinking that one would fix me, and it didn't. And uh, but, I, but this girl that I, that I, that I had you know, kind of had a crush on was going on a mission trip. Not Nikki. Uh, a different girl. <laughs> and I found out that I didn't have to make up any schoolwork if I went on this mission trip. And Missionary was, dating. I love and, it. And it was a week away. It was a week away from home. So I was Absolutely. like, yeah, I'm going to go on a mission trip. Yeah. I didn't even know what a mission trip was. <laughs> yeah. But uh, serving, serving Jesus with women. Yeah. So, I, you know, whatever it takes, right? So uh, I went on this mission trip. And actually, that mission trip was in uh, February of 2007. And I got on that trip, and God just kind of wrecked my world. Uh, it wasn't a great relationship that I was in with that girl. At that point, we uh, were dating. And so God just kind of, he wrecked my world that first mission trip to Honduras in 2007. Changed, changed my worldview completely. Um, changed my view about him. And so... Isn't that funny how the Lord yeah. works? Like you, you go for one reason that might be completely carnal and inappropriate. Yeah. And misguided. And the Lord's like, no, I'm, I'm still way into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... You uh, don't know why you're going, but I do. Yeah. And he did. He had a plan. And so we uh, fast forward another year. Um, I had met Nikki and we weren't dating or anything, but we both showed up at the mission trip meeting. I didn't know she was going to be there. Um, Showed up at the mission trip meeting. Uh, We end up dating, going on this first mission trip together. And it was just something we were passionate about. It was funny. um, This is probably my fault, but the teacher at the school that was leading the mission trip actually pulled Nikki and I aside and said, it was Valentine's Day, 2008, actually. We were in Honduras again. And she pulled us aside, and she's like, look. She's like, you're on this trip, um, but I know that you're not really here because you care about missions or you even care about these people. You're just here because it's a week for you guys to hang out. And she's like, and whatever, that's fine. But she's like, uh, I'm just going to need you to behave yourself. Um, you guys don't really have a future in missions, and <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. You know, uh, Renee was on the trip. 
And so she told Nikki, she's like, look, you just need to stay close to your mom. Kenneth, you need to stay close to me. And this is it. That was my senior year in high school. Nikki was a junior at that point. Second, um, second trip to Honduras. Yeah. Yeah. So second trip to Honduras, we were told that we didn't have a future in missions. And that didn't get brought back to my remembrance until years later. And Nikki, Nikki remembered it. Um, and actually, I need to clarify this now. Both that, both that teacher and her daughter are both on our support team now. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, oh my God. so she, yeah, yeah. And, and she did. And she did apologize to us for that whole uh, that whole talk that we had. So that was good. It might have been a, it was the right talk in the right moment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, pro- it it honestly probably did. I I don't want to admit it, but it probably did change my focus a little bit. You know, on the trip, and you know, maybe rebukes have that way of yeah. of having an impact. Yeah. So uh, so we went on our first trip together, and then after that nikki and i started penny pinching and saving money and we went on every mission trip we could together uh, we got married in 2012 we actually got engaged in honduras on the beach uh in 2000 so you've had this yeah, heart for honduras yeah. dating back since high school yeah since high school i mean we really just uh, for whatever reason god put honduras in our hearts and kind of uh you know kind of burned it in there and it's been one of those things ever since high school we've i don't know how many honduran people you guys know um, here in this area, but literally every turn I would run into people and, and, you know, kind of be forced into relationships with people that are from, that were born and raised in Honduras or in the States. Now it was really weird, but God has a way of directing us. You know, if we don't go, if we don't, if we don't go, um, you know, easily, he has ways of, you know, kind of guiding us down the path he wants us to go down. So, uh, we, uh, 2012, we get married um, that was in November of 2012. And in June of 2013, we decided to off our first house, sell all our stuff and move to Honduras. Uh, Nikki was going to teach English, um, at a private school there. And I was going to go work with the ministry that we'd been working with since high school, since 2007 and just do whatever, whatever they needed they done. Needed. They had a, they had a 10,000 square foot medical clinic. They needed construction guys. I actually helped lead a couple of construction crews on some different church projects, things like that. Um, some mechanic stuff, working on tractors, um, just whatever they needed. And so we're like, let's go, let's do this. Yeah. So we did, we were, we didn't have to give much up to, you know, go save the world because we were already broke. Uh, it helps. When we left. <laughs> it yeah. helps. There's so a silver lining in being broke. We did, we did everything the wrong way. That was that nine months was learning how not to be a missionary. Mm. Uh, Explain. It, re- it really Explain. was. So we didn't any do, examples. We didn't do any. We didn't seek out any advice. We just felt like that's what God wanted us to do, and so we were going to do it. We didn't seek out any advice. We didn't seek out any wisdom from you know, uh, you know, pastors from really from parents from anybody. We just told people we were going. Um, we didn't do any fundraising. Uh, Nikki was making, I believe, I might be mistaken. It might be three hundred dollars a month. If she's listening, she might comment what she was making. But she had a stipend of three hundred dollars a month. Solid. You uh, could totally live on that. And, <laughs> and housing. Uh, we were we had a two bedroom apartment, and um, and we had to pay the utilities, which isn't much down there. I mean, and the water never works anyway. So, um, you know, so we we went there three hundred bucks a month. We had a couple of of people that, that knew we were going and they're like, well, do you need money? And so one guy, uh, he was actually one of my old bosses. And, He's like, and, you do know you need money, yeah. right? And so he actually would send us checks. He would send checks to my parents' house and they would go put them in our bank account. And um, when people would visit, they would just bring us like a wad of cash because we didn't have bank accounts. Their you know, transfers were too expensive. We did a lot of things really badly. Um, also, I thought that being a missionary and, and making disciples and that whole lifestyle was actually 
the what we were supposed to do was Americanize people and make them more like North Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was uh, I was going to revolutionize construction, mechanics, all these things, and and tell everybody there that they were doing it the wrong way and they needed to do it this way. And uh, solid strategy. Solid, yeah. Sounds like that was going to really work. Yeah. Well, um, I also was learning to be how you know learning how to be a husband. Which is, uh, I'm still learning that. Yeah. But, uh, no, I was, I, was, bo- I was born with the gift, so I understand. Yeah. It's hard for me to really relate. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I can imagine. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we did, we did that. Uh, we, d- we did our thing. And nine months after we got there, uh, Nikki got, started getting really sick. And so we were sending her across the street to the doctor, to the hospital, and she was going and they were doing blood tests. They were doing all these different things. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And so we decided we were going to come back around Easter um, of 2014. We were going to come back. Um, Nikki signed up like a week before we were supposed to come back for, uh, uh, what's it called? Obamacare. Because we didn't have any health insurance. And so, and we were broke. So it worked out. So she signed up for Obamacare and we were going to come back and just go to some doctors and see. She was having all kinds of pain and stuff. Figure out what's going on with your wife. Yeah. And and then come back. That was the plan. Um, Be in the States for maybe a couple of months or whatever it took for her to get well and then come back. And uh, I believe the week before, we'd already bought plane tickets to come back. And the week before we were supposed to come back, um, we had this huge event for uh, the medical clinic that I was working in. We had a big party, everything in Latin America is a party. When you fit, when you do something, you got to have a party. Mm -hmm. And so we finished the second story, built all these cool dorm rooms and stuff out for missionaries. And, um, we were having this big party. And I remember, you know, one of the nurses that are at the medical clinic that we, she was, she sang in the church. She was part of the praise band that I helped out with. And, um, she, I remember her telling Nikki, she's like, I know you, you may not believe it, but you're pregnant. I believe that's what, you know, what the deal is. And Nikki's like, nah, whatever. She didn't really say anything. When we got home, uh, Nikki sat me down on the couch and handed me a pregnancy <laughs> test. And so, uh, you know, we're, I was, you know, of course we were ecstatic. I had a parasite. I yeah. was, I was scared to death. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, we come back, everybody's all excited. Nikki gets these cute little uh, Honduras wood carved painted boxes and puts a couple pacifiers in them to give our, to give our moms at right. the airport when they pick us up to reveal this big thing. And everybody's screaming and crying in the airport, and it's kind of weird and all that. <laughs> and um, Nikki ends up going to Kaiser Permanente to in, in, uh, over there in Duluth or whatever, and it's her first checkup, and they tell her the pregnancy is not viable. Uh, and, man, it wrecked us, uh, especially Nikki. I was, like I said, yeah, I was still yeah. learning how to be a husband. I, I didn't know how to be a husband on the good days. Um, and much, you don't feel, I mean, I, I've been there. I've yeah. gone through that. You, yeah. I mean, you don't, you're not identifying. I mean, she's got morning sickness, so yeah. at least she's feeling yeah, 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 there's yeah. an immediate weird biological connection well and we had been really stressed out too because we didn't know what was wrong with her right i mean the hormone levels and all that stuff her she she had taken pregnancy tests and none of them had you know worked out none everything was negative and so we come back and that just kind of wrecked us and you know a couple months in the states turned into six years Hmm. and um you know we recovered from that but we just kind of forgot about honduras i mean we had boxes of stuff packed up in the medical uh, clinic that was our stuff because we had planned to come back down there and move into another house. But you get home and there's a crisis that hits and yeah. then you start thinking about now you now you're thinking about babies. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you, so that was um we we ended up, you know, getting good jobs, great jobs. Um I I went right back into my career that I left before we were before we moved to Honduras. Um you know, we bought a house, we had two kids. 
uh, bought some nice cars, got a dog, the whole you know so the whole what, American what dream happened? thing. What's what what started the churning again? So we, uh, I think it was 2018. I was uh, contracting for Delta Airlines, doing uh, fiber optic work for them out at the airport and at their headquarters. Um, all their audio visual stuff, anything low voltage networking related, we were doing it. And I was working probably, you know, including travel 12, 13 hours a day. And I was just getting burnt out. And um, Nikki had been, you know, saying for a long time, you know, we need to, we really need to look at going back to Honduras. We, we never really felt released to leave there. And um, I didn't really want to have that because I was making good money. We, we had two kids that just didn't seem feasible anymore. When it was, we were broke and poor, didn't have anything to lose. It's an adventure. It was an adventure. It's all good. Yeah. But I mean, like I had to be a grown up at some point. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't want to do it. And probably for nine months, you know, she felt, hundred percent in she was ready to do it and i just wasn't and uh, we finally decided to go to honduras uh spend 10 days i believe it was in honduras leave our kids with their grandparents and just go see what was going on we kind of we really didn't have a plan nikki I, I really didn't care to do it but nikki really wanted to go so we uh happy wife happy life let's let's do this so maybe, maybe it gets out of her system right yeah so we bought some tickets um bought some plane tickets and um, there's a cool little side story about Nikki's brother with that, but uh, he at that time he wasn't doing well. He was uh, he was mixed up in some uh, some drugs and things. And when Nikki bought the play, he had tried to they had tried to send him to rehab and it didn't work out. They in, in fact um, there was a point where they didn't know where he was. He was just gone. Mm -hmm. And I told Nikki she called me on the phone at work one day. She's like, I really want to do this. I really want to go to on this trip. I was like, All right, buy tickets. So she went online like right then and bought uh, bought plane tickets to go to Honduras. And immediately after that, she got a call um, telling her that her brother was going to rehab and checking himself in. And we had been going through Jonah at church, actually. And your dad, uh, Pastor Sandy, had said, was talking about, um, uh, about Jonah and about the ship. And sometimes, you know, you're the Jonah on your ship or, or, some, or yeah. there's a Jonah on your ship that's causing this storm. And so we were sitting at lunch with uh, David and Renee after, after church and it got brought up and, and, um, there was a conversation that maybe David was the Jonah in the family and he was doing all these crazy things. And that was, uh, that was kind of like causing everybody else to have this stressful life. And Nikki looked at her mom and she's like, no, it's me and Kenneth. We're the Jonah. We're not wow. doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not going, we're not where we're supposed to be called. And it's putting everyone in danger. And it's putting everybody in danger. And so uh, wow. it's like immediately, it, she, Nikki said, she was sitting in her cubicle at work and she said immediately she got the confirmation for those tickets and that she got the call. And she said she felt like that was like the, the storm calming. And so I was kind of on board after that. I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. You're like, cause I know if, I, so, if yeah. I'm not a big, a big <laughs> yeah. fish. Comes yeah. Out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eaten alive. Yeah. So uh, we go on this trip. Nikki set, was did all this groundwork, set up all these uh, meetings with other missionaries, and um, we met with a whole bunch of missionaries. We met with a couple that did fundraising. That was their whole thing was teaching missionaries how to raise support. Uh, we met with a guy that digs wells. We met with uh, we met with an orphanage, a couple different orphanages, and we sat down one night towards the end of the trip and Nikki's like, well, if we were to come here, who would you feel called to work with? Cause quite a few ministries right. said, Hey, well, y'all could, we could definitely use you come work with us. And I just kind of looked at her and she and I said, I feel like all of them. 
Hmm. Like, I feel like I'd want to work with every one of these ministries. And she's like, me too. She's like, I don't see how we can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what started that along with our experience living in Honduras the first time is kind of what started this idea of just going down and networking with other missionaries. Um, there's so many people doing that, doing great things down there in Honduras. Why do I feel like I'm so special that I need to go down there and start a new thing? Or start something different from everybody or else. Or do the same thing someone else is doing. Or do the yeah. same thing somebody else is right. doing with a different sign on the wall. Right. You know, and we, we didn't see that. So we came back. Um, we started a regular meeting with the, the Corbins, the couple that does the fundraising. We, I met with them for 18 months um, before I was able to get my act together. And we actually were fully funded. Uh, having weekly meetings with them, Skype meetings with them. While they're in Honduras, we're here in Atlanta. And... Um, they walked us through this whole thing. It was more than just fundraising, but they really, they really guided us and uh, and helped us figure out this whole thing. So this second time around, you felt like yeah, it was spot on. Like you, like yeah. you knew more what you were doing. And and hey, man, we have these these weird winding roads that prepare us. Yeah. So let's with because we're we're running out of time. Um, I mean, how how did I mean? I can only imagine, but COVID. Yeah. At hits. So what was life like in, in Honduras? So we didn't know what we were doing. We, when we did all our support meetings, our fundraising meetings, we told people like, what are you gonna do in Honduras? We don't really know when God, when we get there, we feel like God's going to tell us all we know is we want to work with other missionaries and network. And so we get there on February 6th, move into a house. The house is infested with multiple different things that shouldn't Mm -hmm. be there. We get, we have to leave that house and we finally get settled in our house in a week, uh, basically a week later. Um, everything in Honduras shuts down. And when I mean, not like the U S shut down, like everything shut down. You were not allowed to be on the streets. Hmm. Um, there were, there, there were no cars. There was no diesel fumes, you know, how do you coming get, into our how house. Do you get food? Um, it, one thing, I guess a positive thing about this is a new, uh, a whole new business started up, which was deliveries. Uh, there were these, they, after they, a few days after like they the shut Hor- everything Honduran- down, you know, DoorDash. Yeah, they they real yeah, basically. Yeah. They a few days after they realized, you know, if we don't if we keep this shut down, people are probably gonna starve to death pretty quick. And so they started giving out these uh salvo conductos, bas- uh, basically permissions to be out driving to deliver food. So food delivery people, food workers, um, supply chain people very quickly were introduced back to the workforce. But um but the general population was still confined to their homes. Um if, so we immediately realized the need that there's people, these people way up in the mountains, the coffee farmers, um, people that live way out in the, you know, the, the more remote areas, they have no way to get here because they depend on buses and the one guy in their community that has a truck to drive them into town once a week to get food. And none of that was happening. It all was outlawed at that point. Travel was outlawed. And so, um, another contact that I had, uh, called me up and said, Hey, we're doing this, uh, we're doing food distribution. I've got a lawyer friend. He's going to get us some, uh, some of these, special permissions to be circulating. You want to help. And so we, uh, uh, me and this guy and another probably 30 missionaries in our community, I was told, and I have, I wasn't there for all these years, but I was told this the first time this ever happened, but, uh, 30, 35 missionaries got together, raised 75,000 bucks, uh, within six weeks. And we were able to feed families, um, and not just give them a meal, but give them like a like a like a whole basket full of stuff to last them for two or three provisions. weeks. Provisions, provisions, yeah. 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 And so we, I spent from March, uh, I think Honduras shut down on March seventeenth, which was Nikki's birthday, um, was when the country shut down. And so from March until September, we were doing food distributions because people still weren't allowed to go to work, wow. and 
I realized I was realizing around that point that maybe the I'd misinterpreted what God was calling us to do, where I thought he was calling us once again, just like the first time to go yeah. down and save the missionary community. And I realized, I think he wanted us to be there to experience it and be a part of this, this coming together of the missionary community in our, in our area. Hmm. And, uh, and we were able to be a part of that. And it didn't take me and Nikki trying to like revolutionize anything or no. even trying to let people know that's what our goal was. It just crisis changes things. Yeah. And it changes things. And so September, everything kind of started easing up a little bit and then in November, Honduras was hit by uh, two back-to-back Category 4 hurricanes, and they both just sat on top of the country and just devastated the country. And so we had a, we had a, you know, a short little break there where we weren't doing food distributions, and Nikki and I were like, well, what are we going to do? Like, what's the next step in this? And then we got hit by two hurricanes and spent the next four, four months doing hurricane relief work. And we're still uh, – in fact, uh, our, our ministry, Bridges, just helped um, – Another Honduran ministry built nine houses that they just finished in, I don't know, two weeks ago. They just finished a, a, a nine houses Incredible. that we were able to help fund with the help of our supporters. Uh, for people that were that lost not only the house that they lived in, but the property that their house sat on mm. disappeared because oh, of these wow. floods. Wow. If someone wants to support you guys, what's the easiest way for them to do that? So... Um, we are, our covering ministry is called commission to every nation. And basically what they do is, um, they just, they, they are the backbone for a lot of you know, independent missionaries across the globe. Is there a website or a, someplace that they can go to get your information? Super easy. It's c10.org, I believe, slash Kenneth Snipes to go to our specific site. Okay. C-T-E-N, um, .org slash Kenneth Snipes and it pops up with our family's picture and uh, just a little synopsis of what we're doing and then the donate button. Creighton, you're pulling that up to maybe add a link onto the yep. comment section? Absolutely. Alright. Did I? Is it the right dot thing? Did I, get, <laughs> I think it's dot .org. C10 before org before I wrap things up with a few, right, cool. a few thoughts, uh, Nick and Derek, you, know, you guys are the same age roughly. How old are you? I'm 31. They are a little bit younger. So you're a little bit younger. But I mean, um, what are your thoughts? Just, I mean, running in, you know, meeting a bro, a brother that, I mean, you guys, your tithes and offerings go to help supporting. Yeah. No, it's super cool how like God works in those kind of ways too. And just, you know, well, not necessarily throw you, but like we were talking about, just, Oh no, we were thrown. We felt like we were thrown. Yeah. (laughs) But no. And going through all that, because like being here and experiencing the pandemic, while it's happened here, uh, I can't even imagine what it was like there because we get told like, "Oh, you have a curfew," and we're like, "Nope," and we just go outside with no repercussions. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like, what it's like there to have to go through that and like. Yeah. So. It was under threat of arrest. It really was. Yeah. I Jeez. mean, you were getting your car a car impounded and you were going to jail to be stuffed in a uh, a little tiny jail cell with yeah. like thirty other guys. Which apparently yeah, COVID does crazy. not spread. Not in yeah. jail or restaurants. Yeah. 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 <laughs> For sure. Actually, Honduran restaurants COVID does spread. Uh, mm. It's U.S. Mm. restaurants it's, where it's. Uh, and that it doesn't. Free. Yeah. yeah. Nick, what so. are your thoughts? My thoughts, I mean, we're the same age. Going, I went to Christian high school like yeah. you did, so there was plenty of opportunities for me to go and do it. I just I never had that heart. Like, yeah. I was just one of those guys, and just hearing his stories and stuff is just like, I kind of wish I experienced that. You know, like, yeah. everyone, I think, needs to experience that because I always went back. I was like, nope, I'm safe. I'm in a safe place. Mm. Like, <laughs> I don't want to go somewhere that I – have to risk and that's that's just crazy that i mean probably every single day there's probably something that is a risk to you or your family and your kids yeah and that's just for you to do that all because the lord is putting it on your heart is very brave and 
I love it. A yeah, step of faith. I mean, yeah. every day. You want to talk about walking by faith. You know, yeah. for us. I know. For us, and you know, you know, there, there's so much of our lives that, again, it's all a blessing from the Lord. Don't don't get me wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, we're pretty. We provide for ourselves. You know, there's self provision. Um, but when you're in a country where you don't have a work permit and you're depending on people to send you money and and you know to, to get groceries and what's the next step? I mean, there's this cool adventure of faith that that I love and respect a lot. I, I'll say, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't help but you know, David Livingston mm-hmm. was the famous uh, British missionary to Africa, and um, we we actually know most of the continent of Africa because of the explorations of you know. Uh, of, of Livingston, David Livingston, I presume is the, you know, the kind of the famous, yeah. the famous line. And when he, um, he went back and again, I might muff the story a little bit, but I'll get to the, uh, the meat of it's solid. Um, I think he went back to Britain for some medical issues. And, um, and the one stipulation in his will is that if he died in England, that they were to remove his heart and take it back and bury it in Africa, hmm. uh, which is what they did. Um, he died, and they took his heart, and they put it, and they, they shipped it, and they buried it in, in Africa. Because Africa, like the Lord gave him a heart yeah. for Africa. And that's where his heart, you know, he didn't care where his body was buried, but he wanted his heart to be in Africa. Interesting. And, and you know, I, I, you know, just hearing from, from a young age, you know, the Lord, the Lord gave you a heart for Honduras, you know. <laughs> Kind of a random place, yeah. yeah, in the middle of South America, Central America, and um, just an amazing thing. And that's something you can't explain. It's something that might even not even come across being very very rational. It's something that you know. I'm sure you talk to your parents, you know, especially Nikki, her parents. When you have kids, like you don't understand. We have to go back to Honduras. There's something about like the Lord has done something in our hearts that we can't we will be miserable apart from and we were yeah yeah it was i mean we had we had everything but yet it was we just felt like we were living almost in misery i mean we were we we love our kids we loved each other we had with our family but uh but when you're not doing what god wants you to do where you're not where he wants you to be exactly it's that's a tough place and i think even if you're here in usa i think that's a great application for anyone that happens to be either watching uh, or listening, you know, whether it's the mission field or whether it's, um, you know, sharing your faith to the person in the cubicle. Like, the, if the Lord's putting in something on your heart, uh, you need uh, to obey, and there's a reason for it. Um, I'll close just, we're, we're running out of time, and first pitch is in about nine minutes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I will say, um, and, I, and I would have loved to have gotten into this even more, but, you know, we have, we have, they estimate it'll be two million um, illegal immigrants that will have migrated in across the border um, in in this in 2021. I mean, an, an astronomical number of people. It's Atlanta and the suburbs, an entire city in the suburbs, m- moving, you know, from the third world into America. You know, how do we educate these people? How do we feed these people? How do we provide medical care for these people? Like it, and, and there's a lot of Americans that are sitting here thinking, like, um, we have in high inflation. We have serious homelessness problems. Most of us don't have insurance. The insurance we have is terrible. You can walk across the border and get health care. 
I've been a citizen my whole life, and I don't. If I have a, med- a medical condition, it's going to bankrupt me. And, and, like, a lot of Americans are seeing what's happening at the border, and they understand, hey, there's a hurting world out there. Um, just w- why do they need to come here? Because we're also broken. We have major issues of our own. And what I love about it is, you know, you have, a, you have liberal wings within Christianity that, that like to use the federal government as their benevolence, as their charity wing. Um, that's not... That's not the function of the federal government. The, the church has been giving a calling. And let's not, let's not use the arm of the state to accomplish what, what was given to the church. And in no place, shape, or form was the church ever commissioned to stay in one place and allow the world to come to them. That was the old covenant. It was, there was a temple and there was a location, there was a nation. And if you were in the world and you wanted God, you came here. And this is the place that you could, you could connect with God. And then Jesus flipped it all around again in the Great Commission where he said, he tells his followers, it's not about people coming here to encounter God. It's about you going into the world to make disciples of the nations. You know, and I just find it to be such a cool thing, like especially in the environment where we have so many from Central and South America coming into coming here. And again, I, that's a different topic for another day about how the church should deal with that. I love the fact that we have brothers going there. And saying, yeah. let me let me bring the gospel, and let me let me bring love, and let me bring practical needs and discipleship. And I again, I think it's such a cool thing. And and, and brother, I appreciate you uh, what you do. Uh, you're in our thoughts and prayers always. Uh, yeah. Enjoy the vacation that you have, the time with. Um, it's good for your kids to see their grandparents, and it's good for the grandparents to see their grandkids. Absolutely. Um, but thank you also for being on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, thanks and, for having me. Absolutely, Deal Daddy, Nick. As always, thank you. Creighton, always a pleasure. Brother man, right on. Go Braves. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you liked what you heard, uh, check out our website, outlawradio.org. If you are watching the live stream, uh, check out the podcast. Uh, Podcast, it's available on Apple, Google, Spotify. Again, quick links, outlawradio.org. If you're listening to the podcast, check out the live show, uh, outlawradio.live facebook.com slash the radio outlaw typically 8 p.m on wednesday unless it's game seven next week and, and therefore it'll be at seven o'clock with all that being said my name is zach adams i hope you join all of us this time next week for more of the outlaw radio good night folks <laughs>